The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. You have made this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially viable. For the first hour of our show uh, this fall season, our sponsors are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, American Bonanza, Palangio Exploration, Millrock Resources, Revolution Resources, and Uranium Energy Company. Today's, uh, today on CNBC, Stephen Roach was suggesting the possibility that the massive stimulus policies of the United States government may not work, and that at the end of the day, we would be left with massive amounts of debt. In fact, there's a precedent for believing that. During the Great Depression, that's exactly what happened. After eight years of Roosevelt, his Treasury Secretary said, we have had all of this stimulus our unemployment is as high now as it was eight years ago, and we have all of that debt to boot. Well, today, this week, our main guest is David Franklin. He's a strategist for Sprott Asset Management. That's a Toronto-based financial firm that has been one of the most bullish firms out there on the precious metals as well as commodities in general. Accordingly, Sprott Asset Management has been one of the most successful private sector financial firms in North America during these troubled times. So uh, we will be talking to David Franklin later to get his views on whether stimulus is working this time around, as the major media is promising it is. And in a couple of weeks, actually, we're going to have uh, Eric Sprott, the founder of Sprott Asset Management, with us as well. We have a really busy day today. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to talk to Ted Ohashi of InvestmentPitch.com. Ted will explain how his firm expects to use the latest information technology to profit from the gold mining industry as well as other industries and how you as one of our listeners may be able to profit along with investment pitch. 
after we talked to our main guest, uh, that being uh, David Franklin, as I just mentioned, uh, during the second hour, I'll be talking to two very impressive gold mining companies, Bayfield Ventures Corp., which has a very exciting and some very, very good drill results in Ontario, northwestern Ontario, uh, will be with us, and Revolution Resources, which a company has a very attractive exploration property in North Carolina, where gold was actually first discovered uh, in the United States. Okay, well, we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to go right to Ted Ohashi of Investment Pitch. Welcome, Ted, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me on today. Well, it's really great to have you, Ted. Uh, the reason I wanted to come, you to come on the show is because many of our listeners uh, on the show do their own research. They're, uh, in, many of our sponsors are gold mining companies. Many of our listeners are interested in investing in gold mining companies, not only gold mining and mining companies, but other companies as well. And, you know, it's a lot of hard work doing your own due diligence, uh, you know, but it means you have to dig through a lot of boring papers a lot of times. You've got to read a lot of press releases. You've got to get into a lot of written word. Now, today, you know, we find out fewer and fewer people are doing as much reading. They're looking at pictures. They're using modern technology uh, to make their load easier and more efficient. So I understand that investment pitch is using the Internet and video technologies to help investors make the task of researching companies maybe a little more fun, more interesting and perhaps more efficient too. Can you explain what Investment Pitch is doing uh, to, to help uh, make the task of researching stocks or investments in general more interesting and more efficient uh, for pre professional analysts as well as maybe um, those that do their own work at home? Sure, Jay. Well, the bottom line there is that we're using video to deliver traditional print messages. Um, I like the way you put it in your newsletter, you know, would you rather see a movie or read the book? Uh, surveys tell us that consumers prefer video over print six to one. So it's the medium people want. Uh, the other thing that's happening out there to make video easier is technology. Um, all of us actually are walking around with, uh, with video capability on us. We may call it our cell phone, but there's video technology there as well. Uh, so video is just becoming easier, cheaper, more efficient, um, and really, as you point out, what people want to do is, is they want an easy way to get a flavor of what's going on, and if they can do that, then they can go into it further uh, and, uh, and do their due diligence. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it more interesting uh, to, uh, for, a, for a person to get that initial message to get a taste of what it's all about, and if they like it, then to move in further. Well, Ted, I can tell you as a person who does a lot of analysis myself, uh, that if I had better retention of what I read and what I first learn, it would certainly save me a lot of time. I'll read things and I have to go back before I write about them because I can't quite remember what those numbers were. I can't quite remember what the name of some project was. And I've got to go digging back in and try to find it. Now, if I could have remembered initially, if I could have remembered without having to dig deeper, I would have saved a lot of time. I believe research suggests that those who see, who combine audio with visual have a much better retention. They, they remember things better. Is that not true? Yeah, they do. Uh, the U.S. Department of Labor actually put out statistics on that uh, in which they found that three days after an event, uh, people remember only about 10% of what they heard. They remember about a third of what they saw but they remember almost two-thirds of what they saw and heard in an audio-video 
uh, video presentation. So, again, that's why video is so important. I mean, uh, people watch it and they remember it and, you know, the message is there. Uh, you recently wrote to me, uh, in the next five years, we're going to see video used in ways that we can't imagine today. Could you just very briefly give us a sense of what, what you're talking about there? Well, it, it's obvious in, in many of the ways that, that people are now starting to use video, in ways that we're starting to use video. Uh, for example, companies put out news releases. They put out press releases. Um, and, and, you know, people have to access them and read them. Uh, we've come out with a new product, uh, which runs somewhere between a minute and three minutes, uh, in which we have an anchor person uh, on a video uh, explaining what that news release, what that uh, press release was all about. Um, so that's one way. I mean, I, I think, you know, we're already starting to see some major American companies uh, putting out their annual reports in video form. Um, and so, you know, that's the kind of thing. Anything today that's in uh, print, I think in five years, um, almost all of that you're going to see in video format. Okay, Ted, we're just, we just have a couple of minutes left yet. You have recently combined with Thomson Reuters. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, we're a, we're a content provider for Thomson Reuters. Uh, Thomson Reuters is the world's largest multimedia news agency. Uh, they've got over 600,000 subscribers, and our videos uh, are available to all of those 600,000 people. It doesn't mean that they all come and see them, but if we have something of interest to them, they can access it through Thomson Reuters. Okay, you are still a private company. You're putting together a model. Here's what I think, and I, and I must uh, tell our listeners that I'm not totally unbiased here because... Uh, I'm actually will be uh, expecting in one way or another to probably work with you. Uh, that is in terms of providing some of the content from some video interviews that I do. But um, could you tell our listeners, you know, how you expect to make money? How is this going to make money for the shareholders of Investment Pitch? Yeah, well, we are a private company, and and we've been in business for three years, and and during that period of time, uh, we've been able to develop. Uh, those kinds of relationships and business opportunities that, that every company would love to have, uh, we've got them now, and, and what we're looking for is the capital to put some of them into effect. For example, uh, we've been asked to uh, make a proposal on uh, videotaping and interviewing 100 uh, investment conferences over the next 12 months. We can wow. do that. Everything that we did there would be newsworthy. It would be on, on say, Reuters uh, and uh, available to people. Uh, but we need the capital because to do, to do that, we would have to send out uh, teams of people. Um, another uh, proposal that has been made to us is uh, to interview every IPO uh, to give people a flavor of, of what that company is all about. Uh, wow. And, again, we could do that. But what we need is we need... Uh, some capital to take advantage of that. Either of okay, those Chet. two things would completely change the nature of our company. It sounds exciting because I'm thinking now in terms of not having to go to 100 conferences, but can sit in my living room and, and listen and, and research and, and learn about those things. So it seems to me there's a lot of potential here. How soon do you expect to take this company public? Uh, well, we're in the process of doing that right now. Uh, we're, uh, we're doing a, an offering of uh, 5 million shares at $0.10 cents a piece to raise $500,000. Uh, 
It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but our business doesn't have a large overhead. Um, you know, we're, we're the the cost of technology has come down. It doesn't take a lot of people to do what we're doing. So um, it, it's an attractive opportunity, and and we're doing it right now. Okay, Ted. If there are listeners out there who are accredited investors uh, who can take advantage of your pre-IPO funding, who do they contact? Uh, well, they could contact um, myself, uh, Ted Ohashi. Uh, they could contact uh, Barry Morgan or Joe Knighton, uh, and we have a toll-free number eight 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 six eight four five five two four eight 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 six eight four five five two four. All right, Ted, I'm sorry we don't have more time. I'd like to dig in a little deeper and find out how a little bit more about your business model, but I guess those investors and listeners who are interested can learn more by contacting that number. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have now, but don't go away, folks, because I'm going to be right back with Ingrid Hibbard. She's the president and CEO of a very successful exploration company, namely Palangio Exploration. Don't go away. I'll be right back. find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. 
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Try not to try too hard. It's just the love there You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. It is an extraordinarily exciting time for the gold mining sector, and because I think that's because the real price of gold, what an ounce of gold will buy, has been rising very dramatically, especially since the post-Lehman Brothers problems uh, uh, bankruptcy back in 2008. We're seeing that what an ounce of gold will buy uh, is, has risen very, very dramatically, and that is proving to bolster uh, the profits of the senior gold mining companies. And the senior guys aren't all that good at finding gold, and the companies that are much better at it, gold and other minerals that are really good at exploring and developing it, are the junior mining companies. So it, this is a really exciting time in this sector, and it is especially exciting to have Ingrid Hibbard of Palangio Explorations with me today. And I say that because Ingrid has been extraordinarily successful with Palangio in the past. Uh, she is a, has made a lot of money for the subscribers of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. But now it seems as though Ingrid may be providing an encore for her investors, and this time not in, not in Canada, not in Ontario, but in Ghana, West Africa, where she seems to be hitting gold, both literally and figuratively, a second time. Ingrid is, as I say, the president and CEO of Palangio Explorations. It trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol PX. We buy it down here in the States under uh, on the over-the-counter market under the symbol PGXPF, recently trading at around $0.90, cents, and, uh, 121 million shares outstanding, gives it a market cap of around $110 million. I should mention for the sake of full disclosure that Planjo is a sponsor to this show. It is also, as I said, a recommendation in my newsletter, and I own the stock personally in my retirement account. Well, welcome, Ingrid, uh, to turning hard times into a good times for a second time. Good to have you back. Oh, I'm glad to be back to talk to you again. Well, it's always good to talk, isn't it, when things are going well, and things seem to be going very, very well for your company right now. But, you know, I look back at your stock chart, and I see, oh, as recently as June or so of this year, you were trading at about 18 cents. What in the world has caused this stock to take off the way it has. And I know we've had a good time in the gold markets, generally speaking, but most of the charts I look at haven't risen so dramatically as yours has. So what do you attribute this popularity to your shares to? Well, we've been, um, we've been um, pretty excited about a new project that we acquired, and we've been able to move pretty quickly with it. Um, partly because you ha- you put some time in before you're able to announce things, which is why it uh, it sort of gets quiet sometimes. Is you're just doing the due diligence and looking at a new project, and there's just nothing much you can say at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have just acquired a new project um, in Ghana. Uh, it meets our criteria of camp size projects on world class gold belts. 
and uh, those are pretty difficult to find and put together, so sometimes it takes a bit of time, but this new one um, has been very exciting. So we acquired it in August after several months of due diligence. Uh, As a result, we were able to start drilling right away, and we were very successful in that drill program. So um, it was a really exciting time for us. It was a lot of fun. It was a case where we were able to drill um, soil geochem anomalies, and uh, we had four target areas, and they all came in. Well, I should uh, tell our listeners, I don't believe you mentioned the name of the property. It's called the Manfo property, I believe. It's the Manfo property. It's located on the Sefwi belt. So it's one of the newer belts in Ghana. It's located on um, the same fault network as both Newmont's Ahafo mine and uh, Kinross's Chirano. Hmm. Uh, we're about 14 kilometers away from Newmont's Ahafo mine and 50 kilometers away from Chirano. At this time, it's looking to us like the geology is very similar to the Chirano to the south. Well, could you tell us something about the size of those properties? Are they large deposits? I mean, they must be a few months involved. Uh, they are. Um, um, Chirano is a, uh, about 5 million ounces out of 14 pits, and that's mm-hmm. important because you'll see that we've got multiple targets too, so you know, there's a similarity. And the same thing at, at Hafo, only uh, you know, significantly uh, bigger, uh, but more work has been done on it. Uh, Hafo is around 16 million ounces, again, out of a series of pits. And we've been able to put together, uh, once again, uh, a campsite project. So we have a 100-square-kilometer land package mm. on this new, relatively underexplored belt um, in the right geology. So it's been a very exciting time. Well, Ingrid, the initial property there in Ghana that you picked up was the Obasi, and I want to talk to you about that. I want you to refresh our memories on that and what you're doing there as well. But could we just talk a little bit? more about the Manfo so our listeners can get a sense of what the possibilities might be there, and we underscore the word might because we never know until the truth machine uh, makes multiple holes into the Earth's surface and gives us samples to, to, to become statistically confident about a, a certain number and grade and so forth. But I noticed you had one eye-popping assay recently of 36.21 grams, I think, per ton over 9 meters. Now, of course, that was probably the most, the highest grade one. but That was a lot the highest of- grade one. Yeah, but you've had quite a few early successes, haven't you? Can you just... Well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things I'd sort of suggest, if you're interested, if you're a listener and you're interested after hearing us, it would help you to go to the website and and take a look at some of the diagrams because it'll, it really is true. A picture is worth uh, a thousand words and then some. But really, there there were four uh, targeted soil geochem anomaly areas, and they uh, they cover sort of a distance of five kilometers north south, and then they're you know uh, maybe a kilometer. uh, east-west. Mm. So we were, we've covered, uh, you know, haven't covered, but we selected four target areas out of multiple, but you start somewhere. So there were, there are already um, additional targets to be looked at, but we, we chose four. Uh, you start somewhere. And out of those four, um, we've come up with two that are, are, are bulk tonnage uh, potential in Fanti East and West. Uh, the very first hole on the property, and uh, this was very exciting to me, the very first hole on the property at Infanti West was a gram and a half over 61 meters, mm. and we were above 50 meters in vertical depth. Mm. So, you know, that's a huge start. 
And still open at depth, Ingrid? Oh, uh, well, too early to tell, too early um, to tell. but um, certainly um, east, and, east and west, uh, we assume that, uh, it, and it's too early for us to know really uh, plunge and, mm-hmm. and dip, so we're yeah. clearly going to be going back to these targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at uh, Pokecrum east and west, the so two other targets, uh, that's where we integra- uh, got our sort of high grade as well as bulk tonnage targets. Mm-hmm. So. At um, Pokecrum West, we had uh, 24 grams, 20, almost 25 grams over five meters as well, again, near surface. And it was part of um, that one we did over, we did three sections. So we've done three sections over 500 meters, and we've hit on all those section lines. Mm. So we're, you know, we're showing that there is some size extent to this soil geochem anomaly, 500 meters. So lots of work to be done when we go back there. At Pokecrum East, where you've already alluded to the really high grade, 36.2 grams over 9 meters, 50 meters away from that, we we did scissor holes and we intersected two holes. Uh, in, in two holes, 8 grams over 12 and 8.68 over 12. Wow. Yeah. Very impressive. Very impressive indeed. Now, do you you sort of expecting then that there could be, I mean, it's too early to tell, I'm sure, but then uh, there could be multiple pits? Is that sort of That's That's sort of the uh, model that we're looking at for sure. Um, When you take a look at the the diagrams, you'll see the Pococrum West, uh, Pococrum East, Anomaly, which we, you know, are calling. We were calling it the fish, but now we're calling it the whale, uh, mm-hmm. because that's the shape of the anomaly. Um, there's many others to be to be looked at. There, uh, we're doing an airborne right now, which is going to help us, um, you know, identify some other targets, and we're doing some additional soil geochem anomaly. Really, with those four that target areas that we've looked at, we've only covered um, that they're contained within. 10 square kilometers of the 100 uh-huh. square kilometers. Of 100 square targets. kilometers. So, so lots of targets possibly to, to shoot at longer term. But your focus here, I guess, will be on the, on these areas that you've worked on so far in an attempt to perhaps build up some ounces to get a, a 43-101 resource calculation somewhere down the road? Well, somewhere down the road. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and drill uh, certainly some of the targets that we've already outlined, but there's so many other new ones to be looking at, we're going to do a mix of the two, because you wouldn't want to be concentrating on one and find out that it was one of the smaller ones. Yeah. So the first thing we want to do is get a bit more of an understanding of uh, the lay of the land and some of the other targets. But certainly, you know, with this next program, and we have already started, so we're drilling now, um, we're uh, doing at least 5,000 meters. We're going to be going back to three of those targets and looking at uh, some additional targets. At the same time, uh, an airborne survey is being done and more soil geochem work is being done to delineate new targets. Sounds to me like investors are going to have a lot to keep their eyes on, a lot of uh, news coming out from your property. That's the Manfo property. And uh, so let's get back to the Abasi property, which was your initial uh, your initial property when you moved your company's uh, focus into Ghana. What can you tell us about the Obasi? Can you maybe, the, we have a lot of new listeners, by the way, Ingrid, since we last spoke, so perhaps you can give an overview of the Obasi. And where does that project stand now, that prospect stand now in, in the exploration efforts? 
Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, the Obwasi Project is what uh, brought us to Ghana. Um, it is a 290-square-kilometer land package. Uh, we're directly uh, contiguous, and we have, over the last couple of years, uh, confirmed that the structures from the mine um, continue onto our property. Um, it's 290 square kilometers beside Anglo Gold Ashanti's um, Obwasi mine, which has produced 30 million ounces since 1897. It's got another 30 million ounces in resources and reserves, so we're talking about a 60 million ounce deposit. Mm. And um, the ounces that they're adding, they're still adding ounces mm-hmm. at depth, and uh, the ounces that they're av- adding are sort of in the 15 to 20 gram range, so mm-hmm. a very exciting target. And we are going to be going back there and um, doing some drilling in, in January. We've got about 5,000 meters planned there. As well, we're continuing target generation, and we're doing some surface work and some trenching now to uh, delineate the areas where we're going to be drilling. So we're uh, pretty excited to be getting back there, too. I I think people will be um, pleasantly surprised in the new year. Well, of course, uh, the Obasi property is probably a little more difficult um, because it's not right on surface. Your your Manfo property is proving to be, you know, a surface target, a surface property, uh, and I guess that allows you to build up ounces more quickly, perhaps, and Obasi is a bit more of a challenge, I suppose, from a, from a structural point of view, geologically, uh, you know, trying to find the targets and so forth. Absolutely. That's why they're so complementary. And, you know, we were so thrilled with Manfo that the soil geochem, uh, geochem works so well. You, mm-hmm. you find a target, and so far, four for four. You drill underneath wow. it, and it's there. Wow. Um, Obwasi, because, uh, A, you have more um, overburden, you have more... Uh, uh, stuff on top that you can't really see through. It's harder to find. Uh, and uh, it's hilly, so you have the problem of erosion and transport. So the soil geochem, it isn't a matter of just drilling underneath. So we've been spending a couple years really getting our head around it, getting uh, good science applied to it. And we have made good technical progress, but we have not intersected anything uh, that would be sort of an ore shoot or ore grade intervals really mm-hmm. yet, um, but the potential there is so huge, and the progress that we've made has been very, very positive, so we're really excited about next year for Obwasi, and the two of us are, are sort of, the two projects are sort of perfectly complementary, so that you know, we have Manfo, which we're pretty confident will continue to give us results, and when Owasi comes in, uh, the impact, I think, will be huge for um, the value of our company. So your feeling uh, and the sense of your geologist is that the Obasi is every bit as promising as you thought it was two, three, four years ago when you first entered the Ghana, I guess, two or three years ago. Absolutely. Now, you know, Jay, and you, I know you're always careful with your listeners, too. It's exploration. and sure. uh, yeah, But... Um, you know, last year, um, or earlier this year, I guess, you know, we've been successful in identifying the two structures that host most of the gold at Obwasi. So we've identified where they are on our property. We um, we 
proven that they're gold-bearing, so we have made a lot of progress. We've got the airborne in. We can trace those structures for 15 kilometers across our property, so we've made an awful lot of progress, and uh, we will continue to um, drill, and we're, we're looking forward to what the new year is going to bring on both of these projects. Well, indeed, you, you mentioned risk. Risk. This is a high-risk business. Your stock has gone from $0.18 cents to $0.90, $0.91 cents in, in a very short period of time. Uh, what do you think could go wrong uh, with, your, with this story? It's really looking great now, but, you know, a reality check here, Ingrid. What do you think could go wrong, just for well, the sake of our you know, so they can? Things don't always happen as quickly as you would like them to, and uh, you certainly lived through it with Palangio and Detour. Sometimes sure. things take a little bit of time, and um, um, if you can, if you have uh, good management and they have a little bit of luck and they keep at it, then uh, uh, the rewards can be huge. And I think that's one of the uh, one of the things about Palangio is, you know, we had one project that was a camp-sized project and a world-class gold belt, which was Detour. Mm -hmm. Then we acquired another one, which was Obwasi, and now Manfo is a third one. Um, It's not that easy to get these land packages. It's kind of like saying, um, I'd like to be a billionaire. Everybody (laughs) would like to be one. Um, But sometimes you have to be a bit patient to get there. So, you know, I think possibility is maybe there's a delay. It doesn't feel like it right now with uh, the way Manfo is coming in f- for target areas, for successes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's a chance that uh, we'll be, one of the targets we're going to be drilling isn't going to come in, and that's just the, the nature of exploration. Well, one of the risks I should mention, because I think it's so important that our listeners who may not be that familiar with the junior mining sector uh, focus on is the need to raise capital to put holes in the ground. How are you set now for your treasury? Do you have enough to uh, carry you through current drill programs on both properties? Uh, Yep, absolutely. We've got uh, $4 million in working capital right now, Mm -hmm. uh, which includes 45,000 shares of Detour. Mm -hmm. Um, And that covers the 5,000 meters that we're planning to do at Manfo, 5,000 meters that we're planning to do at Obwasi, the surface work on the two of them, and um, uh, the airborne survey. So everything that we've sort of outlined that we're going to be doing in the next four months, say, is funded. In addition, we have um, warrants outstanding, about $7 million worth of warrants that are in the money. They have a, a, a strike pipe price of $0.65. Cents. Mm. So, um, you know, so I think that cents, they're, they're pretty deeply in the money. So that's They're good. pretty deeply in the money. So I, I would vi- envision them as a possible source of cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the good things about the gold market the way it is now is um, it's not like trying to raise money when gold was 250 Right. Oh, absolutely. That's a different ball game right now. No doubt about that, Ingrid. Uh, anything, any, anything else you think you should tell our listeners before we conclude our discussion today? Well, I, I guess I just want to try and communicate my enthusiasm because this is a really exciting time for Palangio. And, sure it is. And to, uh, to have had these four projects, and it happened so quickly because – Yes, we'd been looking at the property since February, but we really didn't put the pin in the acquisition until August, and then we were drilling right away. So to mm-hmm. have 
uh, four target areas, and with those kind of results, just every one of them came in. Mm. Um, I was a bit over the moon, quite frankly. Yeah, no, that is that's <laughs> a bit unusual that things happen that rapidly. It, it certainly is reflected in your share price, and I want to congratulate you again on on the success you're having. Hopefully, it continue. Uh, Lady Luck will continue to smile on you. And it's not just luck. You guys also have done a lot of hard work. You've got good geologists. Uh, but as you as you point out, and as almost everybody in this business points out, a little luck doesn't hurt along with the skills and the talents of management. Absolutely. So. And, you know, if we have time, there is one more point I'd like to make. Okay, one, go ahead. One of the issues, one of the sort of important things uh, is, A, what Scanna like to do business in. And um, we have uh, really enjoyed working in Ghana. It's got a mining history, and it's a former British colony. So, you know, English is the language. The, the legal system is similar to Canada. So it's a great place to do business. And over the last five years, we have developed a really good team. And uh, this MANFO project is all the team. We, uh, we promoted recently internally, a Ghanaian, Sam Turcarno is now our Ghanaian uh, country manager, and he brought us this project. And Warren, who's been out when Warren Bates is our senior VP of exploration, he brought us this, um, he, he's been with us for three years, and he's been looking at projects over these whole three years. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's important sometimes is not just what you buy, but what you don't buy. If you're looking for camp-sized projects on world-class gold belts, then you kind of have to have the courage of your convictions to hang on till you get the really good one. Mm -hmm. And you have to sort of say no to a few pretty good projects Mm -hmm. to be able to wait for this right one to come on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I really want to give credit to the team because this new project is a testament to the team we have in place. Well, thank you, Ingrid. And your website, once again, is? www.palangio.com. And it's an excellent website. I might say that because I've been there many times and there's a lot of good graphics on there that help people understand some of the things that Ingrid's just been talking about. Well, folks, don't go away because I'll be right back with this week's main guest. He is David Franklin. He's a market strategist at Sprott Asset Management. Don't go away. I'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by as regular listeners to this show know i am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks one of my favorite gold mining companies is metanor resources traded toronto and the pink sheets this is a new gold producer it is using cash flows from its berry mine in quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous quebec bachelor lake mine back into production this stock has been recommended by my newsletter because i do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. 
Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Box mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Box, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me today David Franklin. He is the market strategist for Sprott Asset Management. That's a leading investment firm based in Toronto, Ontario. And uh, it is very much involved in the precious metal sector and the general, as you might expect, from a Canadian firm. But I think more than most Canadian uh, financial institutions, Sprott Asset Management has really been in, focused on the precious metals. And I think the uh, probably the philosophy, the investment philosophy of the, of the firm is much more akin to that uh, that you hear from week to week on this show, for certainly much more uh, in line with uh, yours truly's view, my view, uh, from an Austrian economics point of view. Uh, so I'm really pleased to have... Uh, David with us. David joined Sprott Asset Management as a research analyst in 2008. He divides his time between Sprott Asset Management LP and Sprott Consulting LP and co-writes the monthly letter Markets at a Glance. Uh, He writes that along with Eric Sprott. David's main focus is on equity research with the precious metals and materials sector. Uh, He previously worked uh, at uh, Integral Wealth Securities and Toll Cross Securities uh, in institutional equity sales. Uh, and he has a background, uh, his academic background is from Wilfrid Laurier University. David, uh, welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, Jay. Really great to have you with us, David. Um, we met up there in St. John's a few weeks back at a, at a very nice conference up there. I know you were on the stage with me and Andrew Bell and Peter Grandich. Uh, was all, we were all there. It was a good time. Uh, and I'm very pleased that I finally got a chance to meet with you and talk with you and now have you on the show. I'd like to ask you before we get into uh, discussion, I'd really like to talk about your a recent article called Fooled by Stimulus that you and Eric wrote uh, uh, for Markets at a Glance. But before we get to that, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about Sprott Asset Management? What does your firm do? What sort of products, uh, maybe unique products that you have to offer that most other investment firms don't offer? Sure. Well, uh, thank you. The uh, well, Sprott Asset uh, Management is a uh, is a hedge fund, and we're located in uh, Toronto, Canada. And Toronto, you know, we like to think of as the uh, mining finance capital of the world. And uh, 
so we we manage approximately uh, six billion dollars uh, in assets under management. Uh, Eric Sprott has the uh, the largest uh, component of uh, of those assets under management, and we uh, we have been um, generally our philosophy has has been we believe we're in a bear market that started in two thousand. And that's when, uh, at Sprott, we started investing in precious metals. And uh, our belief was that the governments of the world will uh, debase their currencies, and precious metals, uh, gold and silver, are primarily the best ways for, for people to protect their wealth. So we've been at the, the center of the gold mining finance space for about 10 years now, and uh, you know, circulating around that, uh, around those offerings, around our hedge fund offerings, we've recently expanded into uh, a resource lending uh, corporation with Sprott uh, Resource Lending Corp. That is uh, listed on the Amex. Uh, we also have uh, the Sprott Resource Corp, which is a uh, listed entity, which is a more like a private equity style uh, investor in the. Uh, in the commodity and mining space. And earlier this year, we launched a physical uh, gold trust, where uh, and, and that's listed on the New York Stock Exchange as well as the TSX in Canada. And uh, that simply buys gold and stores it uh, for investors. And it has some unique attributes that, that we, uh, we think are appealing, uh, particularly to U.S. Uh, US investors. And so because of the, uh, you know, we have a closed-end structure, and that allows uh, U.S. investors to uh, experience a tax break um, because our, our gold trust isn't taxed, as a, um, isn't taxed as a collectible. It's taxed as a capital asset, so it's a 15% tax rate versus a, the, if you were to hold physical gold, that would be 28%. Uh, one of the unique things we provide is the ability to take delivery of the gold, and uh, that has a lot of appeal to uh, to people uh, who are concerned that uh, uh, if they want to take their if they want to have their gold, they can they can take delivery of it. And secondly, uh, and this has been appealing to a number of investors recently, that the the metal that we own is uh, stored outside of the United States. It's stored in Canada at the Royal Canadian Mint, which is not a financial institution. So. There's a number of reasons why uh, we think it's a good product, and uh, it, it has a lot of unique attributes that appeal to, to U.S. Uh, US investors. Okay, David, I would like to, uh, to get in a little bit to your, to your article that you wrote, uh, you and Eric wrote, uh, Fooled by Stimulus. And that, in that article, you talked about how you are an, basically an equity firm. That's what your focus has been on. But more recently, you've really talked more about or looked more at government debt. Explain why. Well, you know, government. Uh, we, we are primarily a long short, uh, long short strategy uh, in in Canada. However, you know, we monitor the uh, the debt markets and the currency markets as they uh, have a lot of influence on the equity market. And uh, you know, what we've seen has just been uh, has just been appalling the the amount of currency that's been printed by the by the Federal Reserve and the, the debasement of currencies worldwide, I think uh, we totaled uh, 23 countries have intervened in that currency market in in the last uh, in the last month. 
And so that has definitely going to have an impact on the equity market. And uh, and so that's why we we monitor the uh, the debt and equity or the debt market and the currency market to see what impact it's going to have on the uh, on the equity space. I guess you would expect that to probably all other things being equal. Of course, they never are in economics. But with more money being pumped into the system, you would expect that to be. David, are you there? Yes. Uh, did you, uh, would you expect then to be, if, you know, if, if all this money is being created? Uh, well, yes, I think, um, um, you know, the, with all this money being printed, it's going to find a place somewhere. And uh, so be that stocks, uh, be that bonds, be that precious metals, be that mining, you know, these new dollars have to find uh, an investable an investable vehicle. You know, I, I think uh, you know zero interest. The zero interest rate policy of the federal uh, Federal Reserve has forced us all to be speculators. So no longer can we be satisfied holding, you know, short term bonds at zero percent interest rate. That you know you have to find places where you can deploy your your capital to uh, to seek a return. Okay, so we're looking at this, this enormous amount of money that's being printed, and your company, uh, Sprout Asset Management, certainly had it right when they were concerned back in 2000 about governments printing money, as you just said. Um, you know, it's all based on Keynesian economics, isn't it? That's the theory upon which policy is being uh, instituted. Uh, and yet there's plenty of evidence going back to the 1930s when Keynes was first tried. We had an, an author on this show not that long ago who talked about, uh, he wrote a book uh, called New Deal or Raw Deal, a professor from, uh, from Michigan uh, whose name escapes my memory at the moment. But the whole idea, the Treasury Secretary under, under Roosevelt acknowledged after eight years, he said, uh, you know, we, we have had eight years of this stimulus and we have just as much unemployment as we have now, and we have a whole lot of debt to boot. So we didn't learn in the 1930s. We're trying it again. Uh, and in your article, uh, you talked a little bit about some academics that are out there that are really demonstrating the fact that Keynesian economics doesn't work very well, and it hasn't worked very well. Could you talk about that for a moment, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, sure. The um, and and. You know, we had, uh, just speaking to your point, you had eight years of, of stimulus with no real, uh, no real gains or no real improvement in the economy. And I think we're, we're in the middle of experiencing the, the same effect. And, and I, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, fooled by stimulus was the, uh, uh, was a, was a play on words with the, uh, the book by, uh, Nassim Taleb on, uh, fooled by randomness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the stimulus injections into the economy initially made it look very, uh, initially made it look very positive. And, uh, or, or the, you know, industrial production and a uh, number of real economic indicators initially had, had spurred up. But as we see, when stimulus is removed, it, uh, the, the underlying problems are exposed. And so the, uh, you know, when we started looking at well, the impacts of stimulus on the economy, we we started finding a lot of academic research that would suggest that that uh, it is not true, and in some cases, it is very harmful to the real economy, and and the harm comes because you're sending false signals to the market, 
And uh, the Bank of England, in fact, uh, suggested that the, the point of quantitative easing, uh, which is the process of injecting uh, dollars into the economy, the, the purpose of that is to fool the market into thinking it's better off than it is. And this, this effect then allows companies to raise equity and raise debt to, um, to expand their business. And while the underlying economic characteristics haven't uh, haven't changed, so there's a there's a series of economic uh, there's a series of academic articles that we look at that uh, speak to that same effect, where the the fact of printing money and and stimulating the economy is artificial, and uh, in fact by by doing so you're distorting real economic signals and doing more harm to uh, to the economy than uh, than a simple recession would uh, would do. Okay, David, so what we're seeing now, though, we're seeing a stock market that's been behaving very nicely for the bulls. It's been going up very nicely. Are you saying this is the result of stimulus, but the underlying economy doesn't really follow? No, that and, that's, not really... and that's, that's true. The real, the real economy is not, uh, is not following. I, I, I think what we see is, a, is an aberration uh, effect of, the, uh, of uh, quantitative easing, which really has already started. And uh, and those dollars have to find a home somewhere. But we, you know, I, I don't need to tell your listeners or you about the unemployment rate is still uh, very high in the United States. The uh, industrial production uh, numbers in the United States have rolled uh, have rolled over. Uh, retail sales, another metric, uh, continue to weaken. So these are very strong. Uh, strong economic indicators that are not participating or are not reflecting the the rise in the stock market. So right now, I think this this stock market rise has been a a purely dollar debasement uh, monetary phenomenon. Of course, some would argue that the equity market leads the uh, the real the real economy, and that we just haven't seen it yet. Uh, any arguments to the contrary you can make? Well, I, I think. Uh, I think what we can we, what we can say to that is uh, probably the biggest indicator of the market rising and falling is the amount of uh, open market operations and, and uh, monetary injections into the economy that the Federal Reserve has done. Um, so, you know, where I, I believe that the market is a discounting uh, mechanism, the market uh, the market also gets fooled by. Uh, injections of capital to to raising stock prices and 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 I think in in the event that the Federal Reserve decides not to inject capital, you would see a uh, a very smart market uh, market correction. Well, I I would guess that you know we have to have QE two. If QE one worked, a quantitative easing one had worked, we wouldn't have needed a QE two, right? Oh, very uh, very true. And I oh. I mean I find it hard to believe that. Uh, uh, you know, I find it hard to believe that if, you know, if if uh, you if you try it the first time, it doesn't work. We'll we'll try it again, and maybe it'll work this time. You know, I uh, I, I find it hard to think that it would uh, they'd find any effect from it. Well, the whole notion that we should fool the markets, that policy should be designed to fool the markets, I guess uh, underlying that that notion is the is the idea that markets don't work very well. Uh, and so, you know, either you believe that or you don't. I happen to be a person that believes markets work much better than, than a few, uh, few ball-headed men sitting around a big table making decisions how many pairs of shoes should be manufactured or how many, uh, you know, or how much money should be put into this system. 
uh, you talk about bad signals. The, the Austrians call that malinvestment. So don't, don't we see malinvestment with the 19, let's say with the dot-com boom, for example, and the telecom boom, and then we had the housing market debacle, all of which was caused by money pumped into the system. Would you agree? Oh, I would, uh, I, I would definitely agree. And, you know, we see this regular pattern of, uh, of intervention on one, in, in one way or another in the marketplace that, that drives an asset bubble. Uh, in in one place or another, and uh, and ultimately we have uh, simply you know, kicked the can forward, paper over these these problems. I, I I would believe that the the market could heal itself, the economy could heal itself, uh, if only given the the time and uh, an ability to do so, and uh, these constant injections of dollars and stimulus, I think are are distorting the. The real economy out of uh, out of position, and so it's. However, it's very difficult for for people to invest in these um, in these markets that have con- these constant interventions and and I like to call them open mouth operations by the Federal Reserve <laughs> and uh, and others in government. And this, you know, Jay, this isn't a, a U.S. thing either. This this is happening no. all around the world: Europe, uh, Japan, Russia, Canada. Uh, you, you've got this constant intervention uh, in the market, where I, I believe, uh, just as you would, uh, you would think that the market could heal itself. But these false signals that are being sent uh, by the government are uh, complicating that process. And they don't allow the markets to work. I would argue. Um, okay, let's. One of the issues that we talk about on this show a lot, and we've had oh, people like you would know Ian Gordon, who's a a real deflationist. We've had Robert Prechter on this show. Uh, we've had uh, Miss Shedlack. We've had a host of deflationists. Uh, Bob Hoy, who I would categorize as a deflationist, has been on the show. Uh, John Williamson, uh, John Williams, I should say, economist John Williams, James Turk on the other side of the uh, of the argument. Uh, this pumping all of this money into the system, the inflationists argue, is inevitably inflationary, and we're going to see ultimately hyperinflation, in which you know you need wheelbarrows full of, of, of paper money to go down and buy a loaf of bread. Then there's the other argument uh, from, from Mr. Gordon and uh, Robert Prechter and the likes that we're inevitably, the more money we create, we're creating more debt, and it's going to be deflationary. Where do you, uh, you or if you want to speak for Sprott Asset Management, come down on this sure. argument? Well, uh, I'll, I will speak for myself, and, and Jay, I, I'm not sure if you're going to like the answer, but I fall squarely in between. I, huh. um, you know, I, yes. I see that uh, you know, constant injections of dollars, uh, will drive uh, inflationary like uh, inflationary like uh, uh, results. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, chances are we could see the uh, the stock market move up as we have with with Fed injections. Precious metals obviously have rallied. Oil, copper, cotton, coffee, uh, all of the commodities have rallied on the uh, inflationary aspects. However, I, I I do agree on the deflationary side that uh, we do need to expunge a lot of this debt in the economy. So, you know, when you look at assets that are heavily reliant on on debt, so for example, housing or or, or large capital projects, those are big deflationary pressures on uh, on those aspects of the economy. And while we're experiencing inflationary pressures on on the uh, on the commodities, so you know I, I don't think it's uh, in my opinion I don't believe it's an either or uh, phenomenon. I think uh, they can both coexist. 
uh, in, in the same time period. And, uh, you know, one, uh, I think the government has overwhelmingly chosen to create inflation. Uh, the, the, uh, federal, the Federal Open Market Committee in their statement a month ago said we want to create inflation. So I, I think it's fully possible that we see both aspects uh, in the uh, in the ec- in the economy, and this further complicates any type of recovery that we we expect to experience. Mm. Well, uh, your comments about uh, those items being dependent on credit uh, makes a lot of sense to me, and it really, I think, um, uh, sort of echoes Bob Hoy's views that we're looking at a credit deflationary environment, and he goes back uh, some 300 years and has looked at. He thinks this is the sixth major credit deflation in the last 300 years, uh, and and he notices that in each of those times we've seen the real price of gold. Forget the nominal price of gold. You know everybody's fixated on his gold going to ten thousand, five thousand, twenty thousand, hundred thousand. To me, in my way of thinking, it what really matters is what will an ounce of gold buy. Um, and and I've had this view that gold mining is is the buy of a lifetime right now, of my lifetime anyway, and I'm old enough, you're not, to have lived through the last bull market in the 70s. And it was a nice bull market, but nothing, I believe, like what we're seeing now. Real prices of gold have risen very dramatically since Lehman Brothers is one thing I point out constantly on this show. So I'd like to ask you, what do you see for the gold mining company profits? We're going to be having profits, uh, the gold mining companies are going to be reporting profits. And I just, you know, had a call a little while ago from BNN to see if I could come on to talk about senior mining uh, company profits tomorrow. And I, I honestly don't follow the seniors closely enough. I pay a lot of attention to the juniors. But what are you expecting? Uh, do you have a view on, on what we can look forward to this quarter for the gold mining companies, the senior mining companies to start with? Well, Jay, I, I tell you, this is a... a uh, an unintended, well, uh, an un- unintended lead-in to our the next article that I wrote with uh, Eric Sprott, and we oh. we call it "Bonfire of the Currencies." Uh-huh. Uh, but what we look at is the uh, the HUI index, uh, yep. which is the uh, MX Unhedged Gold Bugs uh, index, and we do some uh, we do some fundamental analysis on uh, on that index and the gold companies in it. And uh, and then we've done some technical analysis on uh, on the HUI index, and uh, I, I tell you, I'll summarize it by saying we're expecting very big things. Um, you know, the gold price has obviously gone up a uh, huge amount, and in our article we look at uh, you know going back to March or uh, sorry May, the gold price has gone up 35% since then. However, the HUI index has not uh, participated. Uh, I'd also point out that zinc, copper, and uh, silver have all exploded, and these are all byproducts generated by these gold mining companies. So, you know, we're expecting big things on the earnings front from gold companies, and uh, their stock prices are not reflecting that. So, um, you know, one of the things we, we also look at it from a technical standpoint and uh, we write this in the article. We're, uh, you know, we're expecting a large move in the HUI in the next uh, two quarters because of this. And uh, in that respect, we expect the gold companies will catch up to this uh, to this momentous move uh, in gold, where they've been uh, where they've been lagging currently. I've uh, I've certainly noticed uh, the consensus view of the analysts going forward this year and into next year. It's a very dramatic growth. 
that the consensus, you know, eight, ten different analysts that are tracked for all these different mining companies. Uh, do you think that then that we might see uh, some earnings beating the estimates of analysts coming out this quarter, possibly? Oh, oh yeah, I, I absolutely think so. And you know, part of that is driven by the gold price. The other aspect is uh, driven by the um, the byproduct metals that are generated in gold mining and. You know, Jay. Let me uh, let me also talk about sort of a deflationary force, and, and you know, we've seen, you know, oil has has remained remained uh, relatively uh, relatively flat. The cost mining structure of mining has remained uh, has remained to this point relatively flat to lower. So, you know, we're seeing the the inflation drive the price of gold. We're seeing deflation um, in in the cost structure of these gold mining companies, which, so in our estimation, we expect uh, we expect a huge outperformance from the mining companies. And uh, in that respect, we think there'll be a whole new set of investors coming to the gold space as they are highly undervalued right now, uh, given their potential for performance looking forward. I'm really glad you mentioned that point about oil and the other cost factors, because this is exactly what I mean by the real price of gold, what Bob Hoy talks about, I look at gold relative to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. It was 15%. You could buy 15% with an ounce of gold before Lehman Brothers. It shot up to 44%. It's now around 40%. So this is exactly the point I've been making. I'm so glad to hear you say that. It confirms what I've believed. Now, your article is coming out, Bonfire of the Currencies. How can people follow that? How can they, can they read that? Can they go on the Internet somewhere and read that? Yeah, absolutely. We provide it uh, free of charge. You can go to uh, Sprott.com, and uh, if you go to Markets at a Glance, that's the the title of the articles, um, you can click on there. You can subscribe to it to receive every one we write, um, and you can go to uh, Manager Insights under Eric Sprott. You can see the articles we've written in the last last five years, and you can go back and and read through what uh, what we've written. Uh, there's one article that might be interesting for your readers. We uh, we did uh, we did one called "Don't Bank on the Banks," and that was uh, almost a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. You know, talking about how uh, how levered, over levered the banking system is, and the bad news that keeps coming out of the banking system just you know continues to uh, to prove our point that we think the banks are over levered and, uh, and and will continue to experience trouble. Well, that's exactly the credit problems, the credit deflation you were talking about, David. David, unfortunately, we're out of time. I mean, we were, there's so much more I would like to ask you. We'll have to have you come back. I know we're going to have Eric Sprott on with us in a couple of weeks. Uh, so thank you very much for your insights. We look to have you back again sometime on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, uh, Jay. I'll uh, come back anytime. Great. I really appreciate that. Folks, don't go away because we're going to be right back with James Pettit of Bayfield Ventures. That's a company having some pretty pretty good exploration results uh, in their northwestern Ontario property. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Valet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. the markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network try not to try too hard it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program welcome back to the second hour of turning hard times into good times i am your host jay taylor again i want to thank you for listening to the show uh and we want to thank our sponsors uh for making uh for making the show financially viable the sponsors for the second hour of this show are barkerville gold crocodile gold coral gold adventure gold brigas gold corp Golden Minerals, and Matanor Resources. Well, joining me now is James Pettit. He is the director, chairman, and CEO of Bayfield Ventures uh, Corporation. And Bayfield Ventures trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol BYV. Uh, there are 46 million shares outstanding and 61 million fully diluted. Uh, and, you know, I haven't seen a share price, so we're going to welcome James. James, uh, good to have you back. Thanks, Jay. Good to be uh, here. Uh, so I have to ask you, what is your uh, share price today? I normally make a note of it before I go on the show, and I forgot to do oh, it. Oh, that's what, okay. Right uh, the current share price, 81 to 82, lasted 82, closed out the day at 
2.3 million shares. Good trading volume then. Tremendous um, trading volume. Your shares have really done very well. Of course, we've been in a nice move for the gold shares. We just heard from David Franklin, who's telling us he's expecting blockbuster results from the senior mining companies when they when they report their earnings this quarter. He's extremely bullish, as most of the guys at Asset, at Sprott Asset Management are. Uh, so, James, your, your shares have, have done very, very well, but you've had you know, exploration success as well. Uh, could you tell our listeners, those who may not be at all familiar, because we've had a lot of new listeners of late, uh, Bayfield Ventures Corp., uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your project in northwestern Ontario. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, as you just stated, we're right in the northwest corner, um, sorry, the very southern west corner of southern, yeah. northern Ontario. Kind of confusing, but it's right on the corner with Manitoba and Minnesota. Um, we're tied right on to the Rainy River deposit that's being developed. Uh, we have a block of ground called the Burns Block that we had optioned to Rainy River several years ago and got it back when the markets collapsed, and that was just a uh, you know just a plain mistake. Should you know they they gave it back to us? They couldn't spend the option money they had to spend within the certain time requirements, so we got it back. The markets bounced back again. The new management of Rainy River would like to have it back. They approached us. We didn't like their offer, so um, we've decided that we will continue on drilling the property. At the and at the beginning of this year, uh, we basically had done very little work to it, as did Rainy River did very little work to it. So, but we had enough indications that we think we have the extension of the the core part of their open pit deposit they're developing called the uh, ODM-17 zone, and we are tied right onto the eastern side of that, where their pit would be. Um, and so we decided that in the spring we'd raise enough money to go out and start a sizable drill program, and it uh, turned out everybody liked the story. It was not just a, a good opportunity to get into a, a, a gold uh, exploration program with a lot of potential, but it also had that caveat that it could be a takeover takeover target. I mean, if we're that, we're not just close to it, we're part of their pit. And mm-hmm. uh, we went out and raised uh, $4 million back in May and, and started drilling 20,000 meters. And we were keeping our drilling relatively tightly spaced and working our way across our property from east to west uh, with 30 meter step outs. And, you know, fairly early on in the summer, we, and I, this probably was just about the time I was on your show the last time, we hadn't really put out any results. Maybe I think we had one result that we put out. Uh, shortly after that, we put out um, hole 15, which was about 10 meters of pretty close to half ounce for the American mm. listeners. And it was it was uh, 12 point, roughly 12 and a half grams. Sure. Uh, and then about a week later, 10 days later, uh, we put out a hole 18, uh, and that had, well, it was a total of 81 meters of just over 5 grams, but within it mm. was another 10-meter intersection of uh, about 36 grams. That's mm. over one ounce. Sure. And that's what sparked the market, and it worked out great because we had 14 million shares coming free trading from that financing in May, right then at the beginning of September. And uh, we just... Pushed right through it. The stock actually hit a high of a dollar thirty-eight um, on that inf- that news, and uh, then sort of settled back into a good trading range. 
and then just in the last week, it's it's coming down. We put out some news um, just last week. Um, basically, the next series of holes, we did about 12, 11 holes, I think it was, along the northern fence line, which wasn't even associated to the high-grade zone. So it gives you an idea of the appetite in the market right now. Mm. They do like high-grade. Um, well, this northern fence line we put out basically demonstrates that, you know, we, from our western border to 150 meters to the east, we are still in the envelope that carries the ODM-17 zone at, uh, on the Rainy River side of the, the whole complex mm. there. Mm. And, uh, you know, our grades are right within their range. So that's all open pitable. What we're doing is we're hitting these high-grade shoots early in the day. I mean, we, we, we're pretty early in this drill program. And we're hitting these high-grade shoots that do run through the whole mineralized system. Uh, hmm. They've got a series of them on the Rainy River property, and we've hit one within the first 50 meters of our property. So. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty significant. And we are now drilling uh, between the two holes we reported, 15 and 18. They're about 120 meters apart at surface, but down plunge from intersection to intersection, they're about 400 meters Mm-hmm. distance, and we're testing it between the two holes right now. And when might you have some results on that? That's been an issue <laughs> all along, getting a turnaround time. There's yeah. so much drilling going on in Ontario that the uh, the labs in Thunder Bay are pretty backed up, and we had always sort of been trying to work it out to be four to five weeks. For a while there this summer, it was up to eight weeks to get it turned mm-hmm. around, but right now we've, we're fairly confident we should be able to turn it around uh, you know, they're telling us three three to four weeks, so that's fairly reasonable. So I would say in a couple of weeks. Okay, so you're getting these really high-grade shoots, uh, but obviously open pit is not just mining the high-grade shoots. Can you give us, uh, is it too early to give us a sense of what uh, kind of open pit grades you might have there? Well, their cutoff is 0.04 um, mm-hmm. for the open pitable part, and it goes down to 400 meters. And there's a tremendous amount of tonnage. I mean, they're, they're uh, you know, between inferred and measured, they're up to five, five million ounces of gold mm. and about, I think it's seven to eight million ounces of silver with it. And mm. uh, the silver component has become quite a, an important um, part of what we're looking at now. We, we're finding when there's silver associated with the gold in our core, uh, the gold grades tend to, tend to spike upwards. Hmm. That's what we've just done. We, the most recent news release we just put out, we actually sent that core back in for silver assays. And, uh, you know, that 10 meters was uh, 360 grams per ton over 10 meters. Wow. So that virtually added, it pushed our gold equivalent grade up to uh, 40, 41 grams. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, that's over those intersections, but you have you got so you've got various zones that you're going to be pulling out together, and in between those zones, is yeah. it mineralized or not? Well, we're tr- we're trying to just we're we're trying proving to... a theory that these two holes were are connected because they both have the same chemistry. There's mm-hmm. silver in both of them, and, and normally when you have the just either the pyrite or sphalerite um, influence in the core, uh, you'll get like up to six gram stuff. But when you start getting the galena, which is silver, it tends to pop. Oh, that's and very so exciting. So we think that they're connected, and that's what we're going to try to prove. And 
my geologist said to me, he says, the worst case scenario is they're not connected. So we got two zones. <laughs> okay. It's, it's quite exciting. You know, I'd like to ask you, though, how are you funded now? Do you have enough money to carry you through the, the current drill program? Uh, yeah, we've uh, just recently announced um, a couple of weeks back that uh, we're bumping the, the drill program up to 50,000 meters. We mm -hmm. raised another $5 million at $1.40. Uh, mm -hmm. Just closed that two weeks ago, mm -hmm. um, and through a fund. You know, it's actually flow through funding, but it's, uh, it's a fund out of the east, and uh, it was all taken down by one fund. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's pretty quick and simple. And uh, you know, their dollar forty is a good price for us, very extremely good price for us. And uh, you know, because of the flow through component to it, we could get that premium to the market. It's a so, type of financing that's not common. You, know, you don't see it in the States because it's a tax credit for Canadian right. investors. Now, I noticed that you have, we only have about a, a minute left here, but you do have uh, $61 million fully diluted, as I, as I saw. Is there yeah. a chance of a lot of those being in the money and raising some capital from exercise? Oh, yeah, uh, we did. We, brought, we so far have brought in another $3 million, uh, in the exercise of warrants. And that would be roughly a little more than half of the warrants we've got outstanding. They're all in the money. Everything's yeah. in the money. So it's every day we're getting checks are coming in. So there's potential for, you know, the five million you raised, three million we already had in the till, or two and a half, and then another five million in warrants. So we're in good shape. We don't really need to go out and rush and do another financing. It really is very important to note that uh, because dilution is the biggest risk I think most junior mining companies face. And but if you have great results and you seem to be in the catbird's driving seat, yep. the other the other guys are going to have to have your property to make this a, a, a mineable project. I would think so. I would think that you're in a very good position. It's really a pleasure to catch up with you again. Anything else you'd like to add in the closing seconds before we uh, conclude our discussion this time? Well, it's it's early days. Like I said, not many ex exploration companies. Like, like us, our size, drilling 50,000 meters. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we'll look to have you back again sometime soon to give us an update, James. It's really a very interesting, I think a fascinating time for this sector. Thank you very much. Folks, that's all the time we have uh, with James right now, but we're going to be Thanks, right James. back. Thank you very much. We're going to be right back uh, in just a minute. As soon as the break, we're going to come back with another exciting mining company. It's Revolution Resources that are mining for gold or at least exploring for gold right now in North Carolina. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me Aaron Key. He's the president and CEO of Revolution Resources Corp. And also joining him, Robert McLeod, the geologist, uh, chief geologist with the company. Revolution Resources trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol RV and over the counter in the United States under um, NUGGF. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's the information I have. There's 41.6 million shares outstanding, fully diluted 45.5 million, uh, roughly um, some cash in the bank of around $5 million last uh, reported. Management owns uh, roughly 30% of the stock, which I think is always a good a good thing. It shows that the uh, management's interests are at least uh, prospectively uh, aligned with the shareholders. Uh, recent share price around 40 cents a sh- uh, 40 cents a share. So we're looking at a market capitalization of roughly 160 million or so. Well, welcome uh, both of you, Robert uh, and Aaron, to turning hard times into good times. Thank you for having Thanks us. For having okay. us Great to have both of you with us. Uh, it's always good to have uh, the technical person as well as the general manager with us. And, and so, uh, so um, Aaron, that's your, your uh, responsibility to oversee the general operation of the corporation and, and Robert to provide some uh, technical information for us as well on, on the projects that you're operating on. Uh, you are an exploration company. Uh, is the business model really one of strictly exploration and, and how far uh, assuming success in the future, how far do you plan to take your projects, or will that depend on on the nature of the projects, perhaps? I'll, I'll handle the, the what our business model. Yeah, I think Aaron, that if, would be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the at the track record of 
of our team and, and the, the past successes that especially Rob Rob has uh, established with some of the, the companies that he's worked with and the projects that he's, he's found. It's definitely to explore, uh, prove up a meaningful resource, and hopefully uh, through that process is then look to, uh, to eventually sell it. That would probably be the most uh, prudent thing and the smartest thing for us to do for our shareholders, uh, especially with what we're looking to do in North, in North Carolina. Okay. Um, so you're mostly, I guess, focused on gold these days. I mean, that is obviously the, probably the hottest metal out there for the markets, but um, that's primarily it. I mean, your targets are gold in North Carolina as well as uh, Greenland, but primarily North Carolina, as I understand it. Yeah, without a question. Gold, with for that's what our team knows. It's what our team spent a lot of a lot of years exploring for, and we have obviously some historical results that Naranda previously drilled uh, that that led us to believe that there there's a potential discovery here in North Carolina uh, that would be a pure gold play. Well, you are focused as well in Greenland, but I understand that's really not the primary focus of the company right now. It is North Carolina, and I I must say that subscribers to my ne- newsletter are quite familiar, um, and they've been very successful with a stock that I had on my list some time ago, Remarkable Minerals. In fact, we posted a gain of 875% in that one, so I'm sure that there, uh, those uh, subscribers of mine who are listening and, and others as well might hope that they could find a, maybe an encore to that. Uh, you, so your primary focus is North Carolina, so let's get right into that. Um, I understand that you have... Um, You've shown some pretty good results so far, but could you just tell us uh, why North Carolina? Uh, yeah, this is Rob here. Um, uh, the uh, uh, the Champion Hills Prospect in, in North Carolina, it's located within, within what's called the Carolina Slate Belt. And, uh, you know, the Remarco discovery or uh, extension of the historic mining operations at, at their uh, Haley project, you know, that's a, it's, it's a continuation of a, a gold rush that, you know, basically started in the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. And uh, with uh, gold mining that carried on through the Civil War and uh, even through the, the Great Depression, this was uh, uh, America's first gold rush. But uh, what has really held uh, exploration companies over the years, you know, particularly over the past few decades, is uh, uh, acquiring land. You know, in this part of the southwestern United States, most of the land is is uh, held by private landowners, uh, typically in you know smaller parcels that can be you know anywhere from a couple of hundred down to three or four acre parcels. Mm-hmm. And it requires, uh, you know, patience and um, also having, you know, a local presence on the ground to be able to get, put together a land package that uh, that would be worth exploring for uh, for a large gold deposit. And uh, um, Revolution has uh, uh, several uh, local Carolina residents that used to work uh, out in this part of the world back in the 80s uh, uh, when Naranda previously took a look at uh, Champion Hills. And uh, have the relationships established with uh, local landowners to to put the package together. But uh, this, you know, for for being a developed part of the United States, this is a remarkably underexplored area. You know, mm-hmm. if you compare it to Nevada or California or, or Colorado, uh, you know, it has seen just a fraction of the exploration work, and and most of the work has been very shallow. You know, a lot of Remarco's recent discoveries, uh, or recent drill results are are from uh, deeper holes. Hmm. And this Carolina slate belt extends from Virginia, you know, possibly all the way down to Alabama. 
uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of other smaller historic producers. You know, we think this is this really is some virgin area, and um, uh, we have the uh, the team uh, with the local experience and the, and the technical know-how to uh, uh, to to tackle the gold potential in this part of the world. Well, I know from my uh, from my experience uh, covering Remarkle that uh, you know what you say is true was true for them in, in assembling a land package. It's not easy. It's laborious. It takes a lot of time and connections with lo- with the locals down there. But on the upside, then once you've accumulated the land, it seems to be a relatively favorable regulatory regime. They do need jobs badly down there, as many people, many places in the United States do these days. But especially. I know some of those areas were textile uh, manufacturing areas. Those jobs are long gone. There's a lot of a lot of unemployment. There has been for years, even before the latest problems that we're facing here in the United States and our economy. But uh, could you just comment briefly on uh, your experience on the regulatory side? Oh yeah, and you know the, the Champion Hills area. That's a, it's actually kind of in furniture country. A lot of furniture manufacturing was previously done. Uh, there's a lot of uh, idled mills and, and, and factories, but you know along the lines, there's a, a, a lot of uh, forestry and logging that took place. So uh, the locals are familiar with uh, with re- the resource industries. But you know, in terms of actually uh, you know getting to the, the task at hand, which is uh, diamond drilling some of these these uh, gold targets and old workings. Uh, you know, if you're working in, in other areas of the, of the United States, particularly on federal administered lands, you know, it can take you two years to just to get a, a permit to set up a, a, you know, a small diamond drill and poke a hole in the ground. You know, this is uh, private land and, you know, all the uh, responsibilities and, and rights with uh, being a private landowner can play to an exploration company's advantage. It, you know, you don't even need permits to uh, to drill, you know. Mm-hmm. To, you just set the, the rig up and, and off you go to find the gold. And uh, there hasn't there has been some uh, gold mining. The, the Haley was a small producer and I guess there was another larger producer, maybe a million ounce gold producer down there. Uh, yeah, Ridge, Ridgeway Mine, Brewer Ridge, Mine. There's mm-hmm. there's a few yeah. in in South Carolina. Yep. Right. So you probably do have the regulatory framework then as these projects are advanced to um, uh, to see these two into production. I mean, not necessarily that you would do it as a company, but whoever might uh, advance these projects towards production. Oh yeah, this is still you know there there are a lot of you know other you know coring activities and and as well as you know the the. Uh, uh, the historical precedents for these operating mines. There, there is a system in place to uh, to permit uh, a mine, you know, through uh, uh, development, production, and closure in uh, in North Carolina. And as you've stated, you know, this is a, an area that would love to see high-paying uh, industry jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, this, this is a great jurisdiction in the United States to be working in. Uh, there's uh, has there been some gold production from any of your properties, mom and pop, uh, small scale gold production in the past? Oh, it's uh, you're in in some areas. It's actually it's it's quite fascinating. Uh, you know, there was um, you know 1860s uh, through Civil War, 1880s era, uh, small open pit, uh, open cut mines and, and shafts and. Uh, then through the Great Depression, uh, there was quite a bit of mining that happened as well, too. So, you know, we see some of the old foundations from the mills and stuff and uh, these small pits. And, you know, hey, that's a great exploration tool for us. Uh, you know, these, these old-timers usually wouldn't mine more than 30 or 40 feet below surface. 
and uh, obviously technology has, has changed. So, you know, these are the first areas we go to uh, to drill under. And, you know, there's some pretty significant workings. We have, you know, there were no records. We have no idea how much gold was taken out, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, enough to justify quite a few years of, uh, of, uh, of mining by the old-timers. And as you mentioned, there has been uh, Naranda, I guess it was. There has been a, a lot of data. There's been some exploration by by professional or uh, publicly traded mining companies down there too in recent years. Uh, yeah, the Naranda work was uh, completed uh, in 1989 or, or 1990 or so, and and that's an era in the United States where there was uh, a corporate dogma where. Uh, mining companies were looking for shallow um, oxide gold mineralization that you could put on a leach pad. You'd get mm. fired if you drilled more than 400 feet below surface. <laughs> and, and, you know, hey, it was the same thing through Nevada. And then, you know, in the 90s, they found all these deep discoveries that other companies had, you know, sat on for years and years. So um, uh, it uh, um, when I first you know reviewed the historic results, I couldn't believe it. You know, there's like uh, you know 300 foot plus holes of uh, you know a gram per ton and mm. the bottoming and mineralization. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you look at any of the you know real big winners, you just said Romarco. You know that that was a one gram per ton deposit. They started to find a lot of higher grade material. But mm-hmm. you know, if you look elsewhere in North America, detour gold or International Tower Hill, you know, they're drilling, or Brett Resources, which was recently taken out, a one-gram open-pit gold deposit, that's what the major mining companies uh, are are after. They're after these, you know, big uh, open-pit, low-grade, long-life mines. And and that is what we're targeting at Champion Hills. Well, certainly with $1,300 gold, it does make a difference for sure. But I'd like to, just to give our listeners some sense of what the uh, exploration potential might be there now. Now, I noticed that you did have uh, an assay uh, that maybe one of the better ones was 59 meters grading 1.3 grams uh, per ton gold. Uh, Can you give our listeners some sense of what the drill target might be like? What do you know about the structure so far and, and the target that you're looking at? How large might it be? Well, the, uh, uh, the the first time I came out to the property and I looked at some of the, that Naranda era 1990s core, uh, I was with a colleague who uh, had recently been to Haley, and he had some samples of, of drill core uh, from uh, from uh, you know recent drilling out at that project, and the uh, the host rocks, the alteration, the sulfide mineralization, uh, the two looked identical. And what we're we're looking at here is a um, you know if uh, you excuse why I get a little bit technical it's a, a high level um, uh, volcanic hosted um, hydrothermal gold deposit or uh, some people call it epithermal but it likely was deposited underneath the ocean mm-hmm. and uh, this area is just part of a 12 mile long trend mm. of these historic pits so. If you look at uh, the remarkable deposit at Haley, it's actually not a single deposit. It's a whole series, like uh, like beads on a string, mm-hmm. of you know 100,000 ounces here, 500,000 ounces here, you know 300,000 ounces here. That you know add up to a, you know a multi-million ounce system. Mm-hmm. I think I believe that's what we are looking at here. Looking at the distribution of the historic mining on surface. You know, every kind of half a mile, you get more of these uh, these old workings. Um, we think that we we uh, we have a very extensive system here of uh, a whole series of deposits is is what we'll be targeting. And so uh, you you are going to be drilling and are in fact uh, 
have a drill program in place now, or you will be drilling, and there will be results coming out on a regular basis? Oh, oh yeah, we've uh, we're going really aggressive on this. Our, our drill uh, just arrived last night, mm-hmm. so we hope to have it uh, uh, turning by uh, by the weekend, so 23rd or 24th of October, and uh, we want to get some drill results out from this as uh, as soon as possible. And uh, you know, if uh, if it continues to look good like we think it will, we can you know add some additional rigs uh, probably early in 2011. Very good. So investors are going to have a chance to, I mean, the, the lifeblood of uh, junior mining companies, of course, is news and news flow. So investors uh, will have a lot to look forward to in that regard then, I guess. Oh, I agree, Jay. And it's not just any news flow, it's drill results. And, yeah. Uh, so, you know, and... Uh, Successful drill results will drive your stock higher, most most likely, under uh, all all other conditions being equal, which, of course, they never are, but... Uh, oh, oh, yeah, and, and you know, uh, all, as well, too, we would like to, you know, expand our portfolio in, in the Carolina Slate Belt and, and actually elsewhere in the, in the United States and mm-hmm. in favorable jurisdictions. And, uh, you know, with our, our team that has the experience... Uh, in uh, in the Carolinas, um, we uh, will be looking for other target areas as well uh, as well too to, sure. to add to our portfolio. In that whole eastern area that you were talking about, that yeah, in the, in in the Carolina Slate Belt, and uh-huh. you know, it, it again, uh, one of our uh, our uh, senior geologists, uh, you know, the reason why he became a geologist is he and his family used to. Uh, 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 be recreational gold panners, you know, in Georgia and uh, South Carolina and North Carolina. And so, so in fact, he's you know going to go and check out some of these areas he used to pan, knowing what he knows now as a hard rock geologist, saying, "Hey, where did that uh, that gold come from?" I mean, That's came very from. interesting. Very interesting. A prospector for you, and now a professional geologist. But, uh, Aaron, I'd like to ask you, uh, just shifting gears a little bit. So, your focus is on North Carolina. But you are also you do have some interest yet in Greenland. Uh, could you just maybe briefly talk about that? Yeah, when we went, we initially went public in at the end of Q, Q2 of this of this past year. And I know you noted we're on the venture exchange, but we actually are listed on on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Oh, my apologies. Um, Congratulations. No, no, yeah, no, no issues. That was uh, kind of just how based on the the asset that we we went public with, which was in Greenland. One of the the areas that our team's focusing on is is being a bit ahead of the curve and and that was the initial thought with with going into Greenland. It it's expensive and and we definitely knew that going into it and we know that now. Um so we'll probably can you know continue to evaluate um the situation in Greenland as as there's a couple other companies up there that might put something into infrastructure which which could uh change the face of the, of of exploration in in Greenland, but for the time being, we see North Carolina as an opportunity that uh, will reward both the company, uh, our management team, and our shareholders uh, a lot quicker. Probably less expensive to explore. You've got infrastructure basically largely in place in in Carolina, which which in North Carolina, which we didn't talk about, I think, very much. Yeah, Do you agree? In, infrastructure yeah, is largely in place, which is always such a big issue with mining projects. Yeah, there's a there's a major interstate highway that runs right up into into our property locations. Uh, so there's there's absolutely no no issues there. It's a fraction of the cost uh, for drilling compared to to Greenland. And beyond that, our yeah, we've got a healthy treasury, and we'll continue to look uh, for additional acquisitions at the same time because there's there's never an issue um, with being able to look and uh, and always mitigate risk. Uh, uh, Aaron. 
Sure. Aaron, uh, management is always the most important issue for any company in any industry, but I think management is even more important in the mining industry than many others because of its complexity, the technical requirements, uh, you know, all the, all the complexities of building a project. And Could you give us just a little background on your management team, maybe starting with yourself and then, uh, and then also telling us a little bit about Robert and, and a couple of other key people, if you'd just take a couple of minutes perhaps to, to let our listeners know about that? Yes, gladly. Um, my track record is for the last uh, number of years. I've almost sat on the other side of the desk, similar to an investor where I've helped a number of different companies go public and strategize with them to raise their first 5 to $15 million. Uh, and in many cases, it's been structured around uh, an RTO or an IPO uh, as we work with the management team to make sure that they're well-financed and well-structured to go to go public. Uh, some of the companies I'm also a director of is Menorum Gold, which is listed on the Venture Exchange. I was a founder of of UNX Energy, which is still listed on the, the Venture Exchange, has had significant success over the last year. Um, and then from there, Rob, Mike, and myself, uh, and then Mike being Michael Williams, uh, who's been Rob's partner for, for probably the better part of a decade, um, we are all in the same office, and both of those, I, I'm very, very fortunate uh, to be able to lean on Rob and his technical team's expertise, and obviously I think a lot of the world knows about their success this past year with with the discovery in the Yukon and being able to sell Underworld to Kinross, as they mm-hmm. successfully have. And both Rob and Mike um, have done a tremendous job over the last eight or nine years with Full Metal Minerals, mm-hmm. which is another uh, Toronto Stock Exchange uh, venture-listed company. That's yeah, another, another success story. It's always good to, uh, to ride the successful jockey, as they say. Now, uh, risk, as far as risk goes, in my view, the junior mining sector, the biggest risk that I think we face uh, as investors is dilution. And I take heart from the fact that you have some 30% of your stock is owned by management. To me, that's very important because it suggests your interests are aligned with those of the investors. But how do you plan to minimize dilution going forward? Because you are going to have to raise some more money. You probably have enough in the till to take you a little ways in, in, in your current drill program, at least. But how, and then hopefully you're successful, your share price goes up, you don't have to raise too much more, you don't have to issue too many more shares to raise money for the next drill program, but you will have ongoing needs to raise capital, no doubt, uh, before you make a major discovery, um, if that is to happen. So how do you, my question is, how do you plan to minimize dilution? Well, the first one would be, which Rob has planned out for our budget in North Carolina, and we're doing things in a two-phase approach. One, this drill, the first phase of drilling is really to understand for ourselves what type of larger-scale program would we run. Uh, with, in doing that, we're going to spend less than a million, million dollars, so our treasury is still going to be in great shape. Assuming then that we understand exactly what we're, we'll be drilling in the next year when we put together a larger program, Hopefully there'll be some, there should be success or it would, wouldn't be smart for us to continue to take that forward. And we'd be raising um, capital at a, at a higher price. We are sitting on roughly still just under $5 million uh, in the bank, and we'll probably won't, you won't see us spend more than half of that money over the, the next year unless you know, drilling was uh, over-the-top successful and it merited raising the money at the right, at the right levels. Mm-hmm. Um, well, certainly we'll be watching with, with great interest. Uh, it, it does seem like uh, you know that you're uh, you have a really good shot at, at finding something su- substantial down there, given the geology and uh, you know the success of some of these other people. Uh, Remarkable being the one that that I'm most familiar with. Um, anything else you might like to add before we conclude our discussion? Any other major things you think our listeners should be aware of? 
Um, off the top of my head, Rob, do you have anything? I don't really. I mean, I think you've covered almost everything that we that we want to know. I mean, we've got we've talked about our cash position. We're well yeah. financed. Mm-hmm. We the drills start uh, turning in the next couple of days, so we're hey, we're back into that area where hopefully uh, the right eyeballs are going to be on us. We spent a lot of time uh, marketing. Uh, we'll be doing a number of the upcoming conference circuit to hopefully share um, a lot of these results that hopefully we'll be starting to put out in the next you know four to six weeks. I just thought of one question I wanted to ask Rob, uh, and I'm not sure. Maybe I ask it, but uh, Rob, in terms of your uh, your drill program, how many uh, meters of drilling do you expect to do, and what is sort of the lateral extent of that drilling? Uh, we're we're planning about uh, 2,500 meters, and uh, the um, uh, we'll be drilling under roughly along a roughly east-west trend. So our furthest uh, drill holes apart will uh, be about a, uh, you know, about a, a kilometer, kilometer and a half. Uh, but uh, as part of my exploration ap- approach, I uh, usually put uh, my first series of holes uh, fairly close together to understand uh, the structural controls mm-hmm. and the orientation of the mineralization. So we'll probably cluster quite a few holes uh, near where uh, Naranda uh, kept on drilling. You know, it's not rocket science drilling. Hey, they. You know these hundred meter intercepts. Just you know, step out fifty to hundred meters away from them, and uh, and uh, and keep on going. And as well, we'll probably put in uh, a couple of holes to depth to see if we can have any grade vectors. You know, uh, again, I want to keep in mind that we're in the same belt, uh, same host rocks, and the same geological system as Romarco. And uh, what's really going to be driving that deposit are some of these deep, high-grade uh, uh, intercepts. So we want to see if we can get some higher-grade vectors uh, happening at, uh, at depth underneath yeah. these old workings. So we'll be drilling some deep holes as well, too. And, you know, it gives us a good idea to the dimension of the system. And, and as uh, Aaron says, for Phase 2. Uh, we can uh, start looking at uh, some some infill uh, drilling and and moving on to uh, our initial resource, hopefully. Well, ideas of dimension, I have to tell you, is one of the things that I'm. I think any investor who's in this sector is looking for. So those those uh, drill holes to depth, a long strike, and uh, you know um, the, the extent of the deposit, the size of the, of this thing is going to be something that I think is going to be very very important. And if it uh, if it looks good, I'm sure. Uh, early investors are going to be very happy uh, with having uh, put some money into your company. Uh, that's all the time we have now, but folks, don't go away. Um, I just want to thank, again, Aaron and Robert for being with us today. Uh, don't go away, folks. I'm going to be right back with the wrap-up on today's show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by voice america business network the bottom line in business try not to try too hard it's just a love 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, we have only a couple of minutes here, so I'm going to rush right to my guest, Roger Wiegand, my partner who writes Trader Tracks. Roger, uh, you, you think that the gold markets uh, are ready to break out. Tell us why. We just finished an ABC standard correction. Uh, the bottom is in. We had a wave one up yesterday. Uh, we had a wave down, two down today, but it, it finished at the top of the wave up today, even, even despite it was a selling position. And three up is the big one coming, and it should come tomorrow or the day after. Uh, we're at 340, 13.40 on the futures now. I would expect we at least go back to 13.85, 13.90 on the previous high, and in all probability here it's going to break right out. You think we could break 1,400 then, possibly? Oh, I, absolutely. And I've, uh, I've done the technicals three or four ways, and and I was a little bit modest before. Now I'm looking at uh, 1,450, 1,500 for Christmas. What would you? Uh, what would be the, the timing on that? Well, I, the wave three is the big one up, Jay, and that's tomorrow, I think. Well, you on, mean it starts tomorrow? Counts. It's not over tomorrow. No, no, it starts tomorrow. Okay. So it's hard to say how much time. It could take weeks. Well, we've got about a four-week four, four week run um, on this next rally. Mm-hmm. And silver today uh, did even better than gold, 23.86 on silver, up 1.4%. Mm-hmm. And, the, and all that despite the fact the dollar went up today nearly 1%. Mm-hmm. Dollars at 77.87. Of course, that, that previously has been squashing gold, but not now. Well, that is a very good point to note, Raj, because uh, the dollar was up one percent against the uh, yeah, against the index. Seven cents of one percent at seventy-seven eighty-seven uh, in after-hours trading today, and despite that, the metals are up. So, you know, they're going to break out. I can see well, it. It ju- it just really goes to show you that gold is trading up against all of these increasingly suspect currencies. Everybody is printing money. All the countries, as David. Uh, Franklin said from Sprott Asset Management earlier today that they counted some 26 countries that have, in the last couple of months, that have been pumping money into their system. So the whole world is p- printing money, and obviously people are saying we want the real thing. Uh, Roger, uh, what about what about the dollar? Do you think we're we're near an end to the dollar? Well, uh, the dollar is going to rebound a little bit. It's doing it today, but it isn't going to come back up that much. The high was 78. We may see 78.50. Okay. Uh, when gold really starts to take off uh, later this week and next, I think the dollar will relax. Okay, Roger, unfortunately, we're, I'm, so, I'm sorry, we're out of time. I've got to get on to uh, just the closing remarks here, folks. That's it for this week. Thank you, Roger. Sorry to cut you off there. We're just out of time. Remember, you can take advantage of our uh, trial subscriptions. Uh, Chen Lin, $39. Roger Regan, $49. Mine for three months for $59. I want to thank uh, our people that made this show possible, starting with my executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colombe, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer. Thanks to all of you for making that happen. Today and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.